Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you are listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Nick Face, coming to us from Reading, Massachusetts. Nick, how are you doing? I think I know what you're going to say because I am feeling the pain. Why don't you go first, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? Oh, first of all, I'm going to need to go to the Apple Store tomorrow because I kind of shattered my phone, so that's one of those things. Um, Thankfully, it still works. They can go to, if my Twitter hasn't been banned as of yet from my constant Bruins takes tonight, they can find me at FaceTheFacts15. Excellent. Yeah, that was a brutal game, um, and I'm sure there's going to be more more about it, but that should have been uh, wham, bam, thank you for coming against Florida. Uh, Terry, against Florida. Oh. Yeah, I know, it's brutal. Uh, Terry, how are you doing, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? I am doing excellent. The listeners can find me at Cushman MLB. Quick check of the standings real quick. The Red Sox are no longer in sole possession of last place. They are sharing it with the New York Yankees, who have the identical 15 wins, 14 loss record uh, at the bottom of the AL East. We are eight games back from the Tampa Bay Rays, still playing like the best team in baseball. So I'm going off script here for a second. I had an interesting weekend. Okay. I, as some of you know, I, I do Uber driving on, um, Friday and Saturday nights. And a couple of months ago, some chick named Carly, I'll remember it forever puked in the back of my car okay so my night was over i was like wow that's catastrophic so i i Mm. bought like a like a water pitcher which is essentially the the puke bucket and um i that lasted two months before anybody needed it and then finally friday night some chick in her 40s needed it got sick in it luckily i bought one right away the next day because i almost didn't i was like I was like, what are the chances it's going to happen two nights in a row? (laughs) It happened again. It happened again. I took a picture of it, too. It's funny. I I won't share it on social media, obviously. But dude was in rough shape. And speaking of puking, those Boston Bruins, best record in history, and just blew it. Literally blew it. So I don't think anybody would have bet that would have happened in the first round. Attention, Massachusetts and Connecticut listeners. We have an awesome limited time promo for new DraftKings users. Deposit and place a $5 wager on any sport to get $150 instantly added to your account in bonus bets. Win or lose. All you have to do is use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Using our code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus and physically present in Massachusetts or Connecticut. Please gamble responsibly. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid. One offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. So, it's been an eventful day. It was a fun series. Uh, I don't think that all of us had that hockey game going in the way that it, it ended. It wasn't that perfect Cinderella story ending. But I will say that some of the players on the Boston Red Sox that we did think were going to sprout have been doing pretty well. And I know that I've been kind of a naysayer with some of these guys. But, Terry, I'm going to let you go first with your stud. And let's hear what you had to say about uh, your guy. So finally, I am going to come around. I've been, you know, very patient, very skeptical on this player. But eventually, you have to start to embrace what might be a breakout season. And that player, my stud for the series, is Jaron Duran. Five for 13 uh, on the entire series. Had a hit in every game. His biggest game uh, was game one. Uh, was three for four in that game. But the thing that impressed me the most, more than anything, more than having a hit in every game, was not having a strikeout in any game. This guy has been a strikeout machine. I had no confidence in him coming into the season. I'm like, if Jaron Duran is in our lineup, some things must have gone awfully bad for him to be needed, you know, in basically the everyday lineup. And he's been a lightning rod from the from the very outset. And there were moments in 2022 where we were thinking he could be a DFA candidate if we needed his spot on the 40-man, you know, if we made a move of some sort. Any trade talks were kind of poo-pooed because he just didn't have any value. And now he looks like a totally different player. And not just offensively, too. I mean, he had a catch today. He kinda it was he kinda had to make a sliding catch, you know. It was kind of towards right center. It took him a little bit to get to it. And it certainly wasn't like a Jackie Bradley super dramatic highlight reel defensive play, but it was a play he would not have made uh, in the last couple of seasons. He would have botched it. He would have taken a bad route to it. Um, He might have lost it in the lights. (laughs) He'll never live that down. But he's playing better in every aspect of the game. And I don't know how you take him out of the lineup. At this point, he he's just been he's had a breakout start. So hopefully it continues. The fact that he's not striking out, he's not chasing, he's not swinging at junk. It's just even me, you know, Mr. Negative, Mr. Hard to Please, you know, has come around on him. So can't help but be uh, impressed at this point. Nick. 
Mr. Negative over there last week was like, wow, you're going to really go with Duran last week because he was my <laughs> stud from the series then. But to this point this week, and you hit it right out of the park, Terry, on the point, is he's putting the bat on the ball. That's a huge step forward for Duran in having any of us believe that he's going to be a better ball player. I look, number one, at his just overall mental skills. He looks focused. He looks prepared. He looks like he wants to be there. He has confidence. He's got the swagger. Even his post game that he was talking with Jemai Webster at the end about the catch that was up against the wall. That was a tough play, but he actually was a little bit more disappointed in himself because he thinks that he could have made that. So I look at those signs that he's matured. He's getting to the point where the Red Sox can finally count on this guy. Small sample size. It's been a month here for April. It's been great to see what he's done in the past two, two and a half weeks or so. But I was very pleased with his performance. Uh, I know stat-wise we just looked at it. Had a great – had a hit now every single one of the games this past weekend. Been a spark plug. Runs the bases well. That's that's what you want. So you're getting what you we, – we're finally getting what we've always thought we were going to get from Duran. We just hope this stays. So I know that, that Terry and I have roasted him. Uh, Jason as well was not happy with him last year when he lost that ball in the sky at Fenway Park en route to the Red Sox getting absolutely embarrassed against the Toronto Blue Jays where we made history for all the wrong reasons and one of the players then – is now on the Red Sox now. I never thought we were ever going to be able to forgive this kid, but Jaron Duran, 5 for 13, no strikeouts in the series, started the year off with a double in each of the first four games and then had three doubles in the first game of this series. That puts him up to eight or nine now in the year. So... I mean, I think it's fair to say that maybe this is a, a potential breakout candidate. He's played in 13 games. Six of those 13 games, he's had two hits or more. So he's had a couple three-hit games, uh, four two-hit games. This is going to start adding up. You, you put everything together, he's hitting almost 400. He's one, one hit off of 400. So um, I think it's exciting. He's not making dumb plays. You know, the strikeouts are kind of a problem in the middle of that, uh, you know, I think Milwaukee series, he just really was either getting on base or striking out. And there was really nothing in between. Um, it was singles or strikeouts for him. So I thought, okay, here we go. This is, this is the Jaron Duran. We, we, we know we're going to get, and then he had the Baltimore game. And I almost want to say like, that was a wake up moment, a big grand slam for Jaron Duran. This is the last player. I mean, one of the last guys in the line you're expecting to do damage. And he does that. So, I think it's a fair stud for the series. I mean, you're clearly setting the table for your team. You're getting singles and doubles. You're doing everything you possibly can to score. In the first game, you hit three doubles. You scored zero times. That's not your fault for hitting a double. It's the fault of the rest of the team for not being able to knock you in. You hope that if you get two of them, maybe one of the two work. If you get three, you've got to get knocked in once. And, and you didn't get knocked in any time, really. So... I don't think it's it's any cause to say, oh yeah, he should be like one two in the in the lineup. But I definitely think that it's it's 
gotten a couple hits to turn. So I'll, I'll say that much. Terry, anything else you want to add? Just a couple of things super fast. Uh, he's leading the Red Sox right now in doubles with nine. Uh, the next closest is seven. That might be uh, Devers. Let me just double check. Yes, Devers is right behind him with seven. But more impressively, he's tied for eighth place in all of MLB. And he's got some elite names above him. Francisco Lindor has two more. Um, Wanda Franco you know, has 12, so a few ahead of him. A guy I absolutely love that Charlie hates, and maybe one of these days he'll admit he's a very good ball player. That's Nick Castellanos uh, has a couple more <laughs> than Jaron Duran. Castellanos uh, hitting 313 with a 369 uh, on base and and flashing a glove out in the Phillies outfield, by the way, uh, you know, slightly negative defensive war there, but still, uh, you know, making some plays. But enough of my uh, infatuation with Nick Castellanos. Uh, good to see with Duran. I, I hope it's sustainable. We we need a guy like the guy Jaron Duran has been. So hopefully, hopefully he keeps it up. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, who was your stud for the series? Yep. So my stud for the series was somebody that I had a lot of pro who had a lot of promise coming into this year. It was a matter of him making sure that he could be on the opening day roster and getting into uh, this team. And that's Connor Wong. Connor Wong had a f great series. He ended up going five for eight in the games. But what I looked at from his skills is the amount of big game hits that he's also been contributing. So you're also seeing great pitch calling. You're seeing him throw out runners effectively on the bases. And that first week of the season, the catchers were just not going anywhere for anybody getting out of second base or get throwing anybody out for runners. They've made the adjustment. He's become their starter. I want Connor Wong behind the plate. I want him there. And I think the pitchers want him to be there to, as well. I think game calling wise, he's showing us the tools that he was always hyped. He was always talked about prospect wise. He's getting this opportunity. And it's kind of funny, you know, about a couple of weeks back when Christian Vasquez was in town and all those blunders and everything happened behind the dish from him. It, it was kind of remarkable to say, you know what, that could still be our guy that's there. I have more confidence right now with Connor Wong and seeing how he's building his skill set and becoming a part of this team. So it's nice to see. I want to see him contribute more, but it was a great series for him, and I'm excited to see what May and the rest of the season looks like. Terry. All winter long and even as far back as last season after Vasquez got traded, I've said I want to see more of Connor Wong. And I wasn't necessarily beaming with confidence that he was going to have a breakout season and he was going to establish himself as an absolute no brainer as, uh, you know, for the most part, an everyday catcher uh, on the Red Sox. But Having seen what he did in the minors, as Nick alluded to, all the pop he has, I mean, he's a borderline power hitting catcher and a bunch of times has hit more than 18 or 20 uh, home runs, uh, you know, annually throughout the minors. So I wanted to see him get a chance. I wanted to see a healthy sample size 
of Connor Wong. So we could say one way or another whether or not he he was going to be, uh, you know, a bona fide catcher. And we're starting to see that he is, not just with the bat, but defensively. He's gunned down six out of 11 base stealers. And the Indians, or Indians, we need a jar for that. Um, the Guardians came into this series leading all of MLB in base stealing. And he he gunned down one or two base runners. And Vasquez was pretty good at that. And, uh, you know, we felt the consequences of Kevin Ploiecki not being very good at, you know, catching base stealers. You know, anybody with above average speed was going to steal the bag on Ploiecki. So it's nice to see Connor Wong kind of, you know, keeping those runners at bay. And as a huge bonus here, we're seeing the pop in the bat. And he had a three for four game on Saturday and um, just looks looks incredible. And I want to see more. Uh, to me, right now, I want instead of McGuire, who I, I also like, I think he's got a good bat and he's got a He's got a high IQ in that batter's box. He knows how to put the ball in play, uh, you know, given any situation. You know, if there's runners on second and third, McGuire will just slap a single and and go the opposite way sometimes, and, and it's great to have. But, but Wong can absolutely murder that ball. And right now, I would give it to him two out of every three instead of mcguire that's where i'm at right now with the catching situation i want to see a little bit more of connor wong than i do of reese mcguire so i i will say this much no matter what happens uh connor wong will forever be linked to one of the most memorable trades the red sox have made in the last 30 years probably longer and it's because you're getting rid of a generational talent, Mookie Betts. This guy's making $700,000, $720,000 this year. But in this series, that's what we're talking about. And this is someone who did play the first game but had multi-hit games in the second and third one. A home run in, this, in the third game, the finale, which is huge. Getting on base four other times. Stealing a base, which is rare for a catcher to do. And then all the other things you've talked about, I remember thinking, I really want to see Reese McGuire until Connor Wong or we get another catcher in there that can you know, do anything, that can actually properly feel the position, get on base, and do everything. I really hope that Connor Wong can grow from this and not go into a 1-for-20 slump because 5-for-8 followed by 1-for-20, you're still below average. I would love to believe that this is, this is the turning of the tide that we needed for some of the, these players. Connor Wong on that list. Just need a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more time, a little bit more opportunity. And sometimes I think we're impatient. We're impatient with prospects. We can't hold on to every single one of them. You do that with every single one, half of them might give you decent work. One might be like really good. Maybe one's a wonderkin kind of guy who's just out of this world. But you're not going to strike gold with every single one. It'd be really cool if we were able to strike gold with a catcher. It's been a long time since we've had a catcher that's been really, really good. 
And it would be nice to see it kind of come back again. Is this the, you know, a future leader in the clubhouse, a future leader of the team? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I've not heard anything bad about him, which is a good thing. He's not doing anything or saying anything stupid. That's another good thing. So right now, I think the most important thing is to just ride the high and see what else he can do because you're not going to continue inspiring confidence by not giving him opportunities. So if it takes one day off and two games on and that's your production, I'm okay with it. I'm down to do that every series if that's what you can do. So, uh, Terry. yeah, I've got his you know yearly stats up here right now. He's never had more than... 61 plate appearances and actually those 61 have already been this year so he had 56 in 2022 only 14 in 2021 he's a rookie isn't he by definition technically he is a rookie by definition that's correct okay and according to baseball reference because i the service time gets wonky when you've had you know a bunch of short call-ups but he's not arbitration eligible until 2026 and not a free agent until 2029. So the reason that's kind of a big deal here is we could be getting borderline all-star production from a guy who's going to be costing us under a million dollars for the next two or three years. Like that's huge. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to cost that that little because if he's getting the, the veteran minimum, which is like right now, and he does quasi good, you know you're getting 10 to 20% bump each year. By year three, he's going to be at a million. I don't think we're going to be able to get lucky enough and, and get him for under a million in, in the third year. 2025, he's, he's, going to get some, he's going to get some coinage. Well, you could be I right. He's, he's, he's making 722000 this year. Right. So I think right. we've got probably at least one year. But even if it's under $3 million, I mean, that's still great value for the production he can give us. And... You know, he got off to a tough start the first couple weeks, but I mean, he's got his average up to 241, his on base up to 313. And I mean, what's the ceiling for this guy? I mean, he he could be a, a 275, 340 on base guy, I feel like. Even if he's just like how Christian Vasquez was, better glove, better, better uh, game calling skills. Who knows? But if you can put the level at, at that, I think you're going to be in a good situation. I do. Um, I'm really pleased with what we've seen. The guy's finally getting an opportunity. And I guess we got to thank Hein Bloom for believing in him. <laughs> He's got to be one happy guy right now. <laughs> well, I mean, suddenly, yeah. as Charlie alluded to, the Mookie Betts trade's looking a little bit better now. Um, yeah, it tasted pretty sour for a couple of years. On a regular basis, it was just ugly. But, uh, you know, you're just talking about Christian Vasquez. This year, Vasquez hitting 260 with four RBIs, not really lighting, lighting anything up. You know, he's striking out one out of every four at-bats. Minnesota's a powerhouse. Like, they're, they're starting to, to look really good, which is a surprise because absolutely nobody had them doing that. Um, that but trade is, is looking better and better, I'll have to say, that they did during the trade deadline last year. Better and better. You know, for every one trade that went well, though, I mean, you got to be real. For every trade that goes great, we've had about three or four that have gone the wrong direction. So unless every single trade that went right starts to light up the Christmas tree, all pretty green and red, it's it's not it's not looking good because you can say, oh, this trade looked good and this trade looked good. Doesn't look so cute when you're in fifth place or fourth. 
I don't, it's a result I don't care. Business. Yeah. You know, this, this is, this is Boston, you know, not Cincinnati. Sorry, Cincinnati, but we're not expecting you to be a powerhouse. This is the Boston Red Sox. There's history here. We're the fourth most popular Boston sports team in Boston right now. Some could argue, maybe not after tonight, but I still think we're, we're a little bit behind the Patriots and we're, we're definitely behind the Celtics right now. So it is what it is, but um, I'm, I'm going to get into this now where um, the other package this is the player. This will always be the player that will be remembered as the guy who got traded for Mookie Betts. So my stud for tonight, Alex Verdugo, who had a quiet first game, but a very loud rest of the series, getting on base, knocking in runs, big home run, a very uncharacteristic two strikeouts in 14 at-bats, because that's usually one or none. But I've always been a numbers person. I don't care about your emotion. And numbers don't lie. People do. Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong are making less than one-third of what Mookie Betts is being paid this year. If you were to put Alex Verdugo on the wall and look at Mookie Betts and put them both on the wall, would you be shocked if I told you that Alex Verdugo is leading in every single category except for one in 2023. Would you be shocked if I told you that? Um, I, I probably wouldn't just seeing the production that he's given you to start the season. That's how good he's been. Alex Verdugo has been playing out of his mind. Mookie Betts is one of the best, you know, biggest athletes period. Like he can do it all. You can, I, Less than a week ago, I was playing shortstop because the Dodgers had like half their right. team on paternity leave, right? Makes one of the most graceful 6-3 double play, you know, moves, period. Like as if he's been playing short for 20 years. That's how good he is. But Alex Verdugo right now is just, I mean, ever since that line, I think, where he said, please be effing fair. Ever since that, I feel like Verdugo's been on a whole nother level and he's gotten a new status of clout. Verdugo is there. He's that good. And I think that if you don't, I mean, we're talking about re-signing people and getting trades, this, that, and the other. If you do not re-sign or at least offer and make it public that you have attempted to re-sign Alex Verdugo, that is going to look all so bad on high and blue. So Verdugo in this series, after an 0 for 4 first game, goes 4 for 10, two singles, a double, a homer, Three runs knocked in, a couple of runs scored, walked as well, did it all. He's continuing to produce series after series after series. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to go away. So if he can do that, you've replaced – I mean, Adam Duvall hasn't been here in a while. Some people have forgotten about Adam Duvall because it's, it's been a little bit. Alex Verdugo has just taken on this new persona. Like, give this man a cape. This guy's like Superman. He's, he's that good. Terry, a couple of years ago, said Alex Verdugo could be an MVP. I don't know if he's going to be MVP, but I certainly am impressed with the amount of, of production that he's been able to provide. Uh, Terry, why don't you go first on that? It's Well, I'll, I'll get to the extension thing in a second. Um, so Verdugo is the currently the only player in Major League Baseball right now who's hit two walk-offs. So he had the one with the F-bombs, and it was kind of a confusing one because we didn't know if it was foul or not. So... That's where the, you know, the, the F-bomb laden quote came from. Um, 
I also want to mention real quick off topic. This is my ADD. We we've gotten comments how you know the audience appreciates our our lack of swearing compared to other shows and we can't say it'll never happen because it has, but it it very very seldom ever happens. So, your your ki- if you got kids in the car, you know we're generally a safe podcast. So, but getting back to Verdugo, um, sort of lost my train of thought. Yeah, so two walk offs and game two, epic. I mean, game two of this Guardian series was a roller coaster of emotions. Red Sox are way up, then the bullpen implodes. Jansen blows his first save and then we go down by one in extra innings because of the ghost runner. And then you had a guy like Alex Verdugo, who's just cool as a cucumber in high leverage in big moments. And there's really nobody I trust more. I trust, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but in that moment, if it could have been Alex Verdugo or Rafi Devers, I'm taking Verdugo all day because I know he's going to do exactly what we need right now. He's just he's just a guy who who you can trust with almost anything right now. I'll stop short of saying trust with your life, but you you can in a big moment. Verdugo is my guy on the team right now. And when you talk about how crazy it is that Heim Bloom hasn't offered him an extension. It's not like we've got a ton of depth. It's not like we have the luxury of letting Alex Verdugo walk. Okay. Now, this isn't going to turn into a Rafi Devers situation. We're not talking about $300 million here. It'll never come to that. You might end up overpaying in the end if you let him play out this year and then all of next year, you know, he'll be a free agent at the end of that. He, he might get an extra. 20, 30, 40% of what he's worth now. So you will pay. But why are we acting like we might be able to go another direction? We've got nobody right now. We've got Sedan Raffaella in the minors. And he his ceiling, according to another guy on our podcast who, you know, falls prospects pretty closely, his ceiling is similar to what Jackie Bradley was. So that's no good. That's hopefully no more than a fourth outfielder. And so why why not extend Verdugo? And when I talk about him, you know, having a flair for the dramatic, him being the guy you want in big situations, 2021 in the postseason, that's the only time he's ever played in the playoffs. He never did with the Dodgers because he had a back injury uh, that first year. But in the month of October with the Red Sox, and this is an 11-game sample size because we went deep into the ALCS. We were two games from the World Series. He's got a 310 batting average with a 383 on base. He hit a dinger. That was, let's see, that was in the Tampa series, which we won 3-1, to one, and I'm going to call that series an upset. Tampa won the division that year, was a better baseball team than us, and we got hot, and part of that was due to Alex Verdugo. And he drove in six uh, throughout that postseason run. So you're seeing it right now, and we've seen it in the postseason. Why not extend Alex Verdugo? You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts to not do it. You are we, absolutely pl- nuts. 
Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, just the whole take from Terry on that. What I love about Alex Verdugo is he genuinely loves to play baseball. You can see how much he does when you see when he goes up to hit the ball. When you see when he's going to field the ball. He wants to be the best that he can. And here's, in my opinion, a hard ask to ask a guy who's never let off traditionally in his career to be your table setter up the top of your lineup here because you didn't really have anybody. And look what he's done in the leadoff spot. I was a doubter. I'll raise my hand loud right up high. I did not think Verdugo was going to be a good leadoff hitter in my eyes. I had Kiki in that spot. But I love being wrong. I love what I'm seeing. I love the spark. I love the tenacity. I love everything that he's brought to this team. And he is one of the major reasons why this team is a game over 500 right now for April. 100%. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a classic case of numbers don't lie. And Verdugo's been doing a fantastic job. He's played in a league-high 28 games. He's a over 300 batting average. His on-base is over 360. I just find it really difficult to find any flaws in his game. He's striking out on average, what, 16 out of, let's see, 16 out of 113 at-bats. That's 14% of the time. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's literally like one out of every seven or so. Give me that all day, every day for, for Verdugo all season long. And it's it's going to start coming out that if, if there's no – there's no attempt or there's no try to re-sign him long-term. It's going to come back. It's going to come back and bite us real hard. This isn't somebody who you're going to be able to, you know, for lack of a better term, not go after. If, if, if the goal is to try to be competitive and to try to make Boston uh, a destination city again, a destination team, you got to start re-signing the players that are doing work. And this is one of those guys that you can't let walk. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there unless either one of you two gents. Oh, Terry, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to make one last observation. It, it just came to me. Um, Masataki Yoshida is never gonna play right field. Okay, he doesn't have the range and he doesn't have the arm. So get ready for five years of Yoshida in left field, unless for some reason he starts playing DH at some point, which may or may not happen. So. Yoshida can't play right field. Jaron Duran, we're only, as we alluded to earlier, just getting comfortable with him in center field. And so Duran can't play right field either. And the reason why I'm I'm making right field to be a, a big deal, it's the biggest right field in Major League Baseball. The right fielder for the Boston Red Sox has to cover more ground than any other right fielder in any other park. And Verdugo, not exactly a right fielder, but he's holding it down. He's doing what he has to do and exceeding all expectations. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, Verdugo, as most of you remember, came from from L.A. And his natural position, at least when he started, was center field. And then he moved over to left, but he was still a center fielder until he came to Boston. When he became the Boston Red Sox guy from L.A., he didn't play center. He didn't play left. Terry mentioned he went to play right at arguably the hardest position to play, not like in, in any right field, like in any stadium. I think right field at Fenway Park is arguably the hardest position to play in baseball. And some could argue left field, you got the monster. 
you don't have nearly as much ground to cover. If you like pay attention and you're good at, I don't know, geometry, you can pretty much figure out where that ball is going to end up. Kinda. Otherwise the carom and right field, that's ugly as sin. You have to play that off really well. There are very few right fielders that know that, that really get it. And if you can play right field at Fenway park, well, you can play right field in any stadium. So uh, with that, uh, Terry, why don't you hit us with your dud for this series? Well, hang on. We should probably do honorable mentions real quick. Oh, you know what? Absolutely. Honorable mentions. Why don't I start first by talking about the starting pitcher that's gotten a lot of jazz this year. Chris Sale. Let's go, baby. Chris Sale, finally, another nice performance. I know you're going to shake your head, Terry, and that's okay. It's okay to be wrong. I've been wrong quite a bit this year. But Chris Sale came out over six innings, quality start, only one run allowed on three hits. It was not a home run, which is nice. He struck out five, almost 100 pitches, did not throw that many balls. There were not that many ugly counts for him. And he faced Cleveland. Cleveland, we all thought, was going to be a really, really strong team this year. And they've kind of started off a little bit slow. But I think it's kind of hard not to give him a little bit of shout-out love. And then also Brian Bayo, who came out from multiple ugly appearances, came out, gave five innings, allowed one run, again, on a home run, a couple other hits, scattered a couple walks, and six strikeouts. So would I like to see him go one more inning? Yes, unfortunately, Alex Cora had other things in mind, but those are the two in, in my mind. Uh, Terry, were there any other honorable mentions you want to talk about? I was going to poop on sale, but you know what? I won't do it. Indian's not a great offense, and Sale is destroying the AL Central. He's got a 263 ERA against the AL Central this year in three starts, 12.75 ERA against the AL East. So I'm, I'm not all the way there. Duran has won me over, but I'm, I'm just not there with Chris Sale yet. Um, and, uh, Bayo, his, his line of five innings, five hits, one earned run, two walks, six strikeouts. That's serviceable. That sounds great. And the only kind of underlying thing, he only threw, I think, 47 pitches, uh, excuse me, 47 strikes in 83 pitches. So you, you want to just see him be a little bit sharper and commanding a little bit better. But overall, you'll you'll take that general um, you know pitching line that I gave a second ago. Uh, anytime, uh, one guy that I think deserves a little bit of love is uh, I don't even have his first name up. That's how that's how much of a that, that that's well, well, why, why I should get the dud. Uh, yeah, why don't you look him up for two well, seconds? Because I'm, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm shocked you didn't talk about Christian Arroyo, who went five for seven. I just couldn't put him as my stud in the series. I yeah, I, I, I just couldn't do it because I, I feel like every dog gets a bone every once in a while. I don't think he's going to go five for seven in another series. It was really nice to see him do it, but I'm still not buying the, the hype on on uh, Christian Arroyo. I, 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 just, I hold I my breath. It. I hold my breath when he's a shortstop. You. I don't know about you guys. I, I, he is not a shortstop. I'm sorry. No, but. no. Great series. I'm not taking it yeah. away from him. Yeah, fair. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. But I- I'm going to say, you know, while I could never do what he does, I don't think in Major League Baseball, not even on a good day, even if he was two, three, you know, beers in. Uh, I-, I-, I just, I remember saying on-, on a former show, I just don't, I don't, you can argue if he's a major leaguer. Like he's just, he can't stay healthy. He's not doing enough to, to, to really make anybody 
think, oh, yes, he should be in the starting lineup every single game. And he's just, I mean, some at-bats, I mean, these balls are just going everywhere, swinging all over. It's just, it looks bad. Uh, Terry, I know you're looking up one guy. Did you find his first name? <laughs> yeah. And I do, let me just say on Arroyo, I, I've always had the confidence he would revert back to his uh, career averages, which at, which would be adequate. I mean, you would take that with for him. But, uh, you know, he's been hobbling around. Uh, Kike is day-to-day with an ankle. So there should be some concerns here with our uh, durability uh, for our middle infield. But, yes, yeah, so Brennan Bernardino, uh, who's made some appearances here the last couple series, uh, scoreless on the season. He locked down the uh, extra innings game, uh, you know, held the – uh, you know, the Guardians at bay, two strikeouts, and uh, and then finally today in the finale, uh, pitched a clean inning. Uh, so a journeyman reliever who's 31 years old, uh, you know, has found his way to the Boston Red Sox, and so far he's been adequate, and I don't know if this is sustainable. I mean, he could turn into Ryan Brazier 2.0. We don't know. I mean, usually when you're only in your second season in the majors and you're 31 years old, there's, you know, there's a reason you weren't here sooner, but I think he deserves a little bit of credit. So, um, that's all I got for honorable mentions. He's the reason why Caleb Ort went back to Worcester. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we don't see that guy again. See you later. <laughs> can't, yeah. That's, that's, can't locate a slider or his fastball. So, I mean, that's not a major league reliever. Yeah, now you can't find him. So it's it's not necessarily a major loss for anybody. Terry, that being said, why don't you hit us with your first dud? My first dud, well, my dud for the series, not a lot to, I mean, you could take the low-hanging fruit, which is Ryan Brazier, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm just going to go with Nick Pavetta. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't great in, in game one of the series pitched five innings, five hits, four earned runs, walked two, struck out five. We were down two to nothing uh, in the first inning. So right away, you know, it was an uphill battle and that's not a terrible pitching line. If we're being fair for Pavetta, because he should be your number four, or your number five guy. And that's about what a number four, or number five starter will give you. But I went with him as my dud because other than the fact Reese McGuire stranded five base runners, I mean, you can't, you'd be hard pressed to come up with another reason why we lost game one had it not been for Pavetta's performance, but just not sharp overall. And he's been up and down. He's had a couple of bad starts and immediately followed it up with a good start. Uh, his next one's going to be against the Blue Jays, so we'll see, but um, but a borderline non-competitive start uh, for him. So he was my dud. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, mine's going to go to Tristan Casas. I never would have thought when the season began that kind of midway through, we'd already be kind of having more faith in Justin Turner, already going over to first base and playing adequate baseball over there. I just never understood why there was so much hype for Tristan Casas before he really even got developed. 
I understand numbers and everything from down in Worcester and the hype was there. He's big and strong. He can hit the ball out of the park and all that. Everything seemed great in theory, but we're up to, I was just looking at his stats for his preparing to just see where he's at right now. So he's played 25 games so far. Didn't realize he was already up to 92 plate appearances. He's got a 133 batting average with an OBP of 283 and OPS of 576. And I just don't think that that's anywhere near where this team was thinking that this guy was going to go. I know the struggles. It's natural when somebody comes up, they're going to struggle from everything. But you also got to remember, he also got a sample size too here last uh, last uh, season for the team. And I just don't know if this guy is going to be the person and the player that the Red Sox were expecting. And that's scary because if they put so much faith into this guy, what's what's go- what's going to happen with first base? So I feel more confident right now. I don't know how you guys do with a Justin Turner over at first base and then rotating out the DH or, or whatnot to get at least some production versus really nothing that you've gotten from Casas. Well, I've said multiple times now that uh, uh, Tristan Casas has not really been doing what I thought he was going to be doing. And it felt like instead of going in a direction that we were hoping he was going to go, it's almost regressed and actually gotten in the gone gone in the wrong direction. So I don't I don't want to say that he's done or he needs more seasoning because similar to Bobby Dahlbeck, similar to Franchi Cordero, and similar to a lot of other players that have had really really long leashes of opportunities, even like as far back as Rosny Castillo, you have to give him a chance. I think if you give him twenty twenty three. That'd be the equivalent to what you did for Bobby Dahlbeck. I'm not happy with what I've seen so far. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he's shown us that he's ready for for, for what's coming his way. I mean, you're, you're almost a lock for 0 for 4, 0 for 3, 0 for 5, 1 for 5. But the days of seeing a multi-hit game for him... I don't know if I can roll the dice and say, yeah, there's a, a more than 20% chance of that. I, I just don't see it yet. I still think he's too green. We've seen the plate discipline be like a really good thing, at least last year. This year, it hasn't been as effective. He hasn't had the same level of discipline at times, kind of flailing at pitches that are off the, the plate by six to eight inches. And he's just trying too hard. I think that Tristan Cassis is trying too hard. Uh, Terry, go ahead. So Casas has only had five hits since April 9th. Okay. That's ugly. That's three weeks. That's that's bad. You can't you can't live on that, as Charlie says. Um is there any coincidence whatsoever that he was in the first game of the series, which we lost 0 for 3 in that game? The Red Sox go on to win the next two games with him on the bench and Yoshida at DH. And that what that did was it slid Turner over to first base instead. So by not having an automatic out in the lineup, I, I mean, I'm not saying we might not have won those games anyway, but you gave yourself a better chance by not putting him in the lineup. Let's put it that way. Uh, one last thing. 
I tweeted out, this was uh, a few days ago, and uh, this tweet went insane with uh, interactions. Um, 77,000 views on, on Twitter. That's big for us. But I threw a scenario out there, and this is the one I went with. Plan A would be simply keep Casas at first base and Turner at DH. That's plan A. Or plan B, and I will admit this is a little bit outside the box. Plan B, call up Jorge Alfaro, who uh, at the time of this tweet was hitting 278 with a 316 on base in AAA Worcester. Make him your DH and then have Turner be your everyday first baseman. Option Casas down to AAA. That was plan B. And you should have seen like people just overreact about the idea of simply sending Casas down. That was just too much for them. And people were raging in the mentions on that tweet. So uh, you you saw, as I just pointed out, you know, the Red Sox are, are winning games without him in the lineup. You know, there is a benefit to not having him in there and maybe getting his head together down in Worcester. Even if you don't like Alfaro, come up with a plan C as long as part of the plan is sending Casas down to Worcester. Nick, is there anything else you want to add to that? I was going to say too, I don't think it does him really any good or any justice by having him sit on the bench at Fenway or in any games. I think he needs to seriously be considered to go back to Worcester, get him into games, get him into action, work on getting out, anything he has to do with his swing. I just think it's a mental thing for him more than anything right now. And I think they got to get him mentally right. So I like Terry's take with uh, an Alfaro call up, put, put him in. It gives you a third catcher for depth as well. And it also allows you to have another option if you want to use for first base or a DH of some sorts and a guy who has some pop. So I think Alfaro deserves the call up truthfully right now. I, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, this is a guy who's been a journeyman. He's been with several major league teams already. Last year, he didn't do too bad. As a backup, he can't possibly do worse than some of the other names that we've had as well. Uh, in 82 games last year, uh, 82 games had seven homers, 40 RBIs, and hit just under 250, which is not crazy, but um, it's not bad for a backup guy. So, I mean, we've seen we've seen the pop numbers. This is a couple of years uh, a couple years back had uh, a not too shabby line, 18 homers, 57 RBIs in just 130 games when he was a member of the Miami Marlins back in 2019. So I think that it's, I think why not G- give him a chance? He's not 30 years old. He's, he's not over the hills. There are still other options that we, we've seen, we've given other opportunities to. So why not? I- I'm with you. Uh, right on. Cool. So, uh, Who's our next dud? Uh, you're up. All right, cool. So um, for my dud of this series, I don't think it's too much of a shock um, that you know I, I've given a lot of people praise and I had to unfortunately be negative about other players. There are certain people I just I can't ever list as duds just because of my loyalty, which sometimes burns me. But um, Justin Turner, uh, two for thirteen this series. Just not not really feeling it. I mean, this is a guy who was absolutely on fire 
to uh, start the year. Um, it just, it kind of feels like we did a lully period with Turner. Um, just nothing crazy over in the third game, just a couple of singles, no power. We've seen moments of it, but we didn't see it in this series. I'm not sure if it's a cause for concern or if it was just a bad series. I mean, age is a potential factor here. The two for 13, three strikeouts, a walk, not, not crazy good, but that's, that's my two cents. Uh, Nick, why don't, why don't you go first on this one? Hold on one second, Charlie. My uh, audio didn't pick up who your take was again. Give me one sec. Who was your um, who was he, your choice? His dud was Turner, who was two for 13 on the series. So what are your uh, thoughts Turner. there? Okay. I expected more from him, truthfully, when it, when he got signed. I think there was this whole expectation that he's going to be the next J.D. Martinez. I even brought it down a little bit for a level. I thought he was going to be a good depth piece to spell Rafi Devers over at third base, give you a little bit of a veteran presence that's there. I think he's still going to be decent. I just don't think he's going to light the world on fire. I don't think he's a middle-of-the-order bat anymore either. I think he's more of a 6-7 guy, and he's being asked to produce into more of a slot where you kind of don't have any other choice. I like how he plays all these multiple spots. He does put the bat on the ball, which is good. So I hope that he's able to get a little bit better. And as the season goes on, when the weather gets warmer and everything, he'll start hitting the ball out of the park a little bit more and producing. Terry. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get on him too bad. I mean, you look at his general stats, only a couple home runs on the season. He's only driven in nine runs. Uh, you would certainly expect more than that. He is getting on base at a decent clip. Uh, he's got a, uh, let's see, I just had it, 362 on base. So he's his on base is actually 103 points higher than his batting average. So, so he, he's... He's getting on, and so I think in his case, it's just more of a matter of where do you slot him in the lineup at this point? Do you do you really want him hitting cleanup with those numbers? Like, is he going to be driving guys in? Because that's not what his lines suggest. So, you know, maybe he's got to be in the two-hole with some, you know, consistent guys behind him. You know, Devers and Yoshida perhaps behind him, uh, driving him in, so... We'll see. He does have 13 runs scored, which isn't terrible. You know, Yoshida has scored more. Verdugo has come across the plate 22 times, Devers 20. So I just think, you know, he, he needs to get a little bit hotter and Cora needs to figure out the, the best uh, place to put him in the lineup, I think. And then you'll start to see some of those numbers come up. I really don't want to think that this is dead money with, with Turner. I mean, this is a guy who's he's made his money. Like we know that he's made millions and millions of members of the Dodgers. This is a, a very friendly deal. Two years. It was 22 million. He's making 8 million this year. And then he's got a team option, excuse me, player option for 13, four. The Dodgers were not willing to give him a second year. The Red Sox were the Red Sox and Dodgers basically swapped Justin Turner for JD Martinez. The $13.4 million deal if it ends up not going the way that he wants it to, becomes a $6.7 million buyout. So half that contract, he gets paid $6.7 million minimum next year, whether he plays for the Sox or not, which is almost the same amount of money that he's making this year. I think at some point next year, the Red Sox are 
if he's not able to like turn it around and, and for lack of a better term, no pun intended, uh, be what he was in the past because he's, he's not going to be, he's not on pace to hit 12 homers and 80 RBIs, which is what you'd love to see for somebody like Justin Turner. Getting on base has never been a problem for Turner. Turner's always been somebody that can draw walks. He can get singles. He's going to have that 353, 60 on base percentage. His batting average is already starting to drop. So if that doesn't become something that he can turn around, I think that that is an area for potential concern because of the age factor. He's not turning 30 next year. He's closer to 40 than he is to 30 and a lot closer to 40 than he is to 30. So I, I think at this point we have to be mindful of that and just, you know, consider that, you know, at age 38, this guy will be 39 soon. You know, we, we have to be conscientious of that. So I'm hoping because I do like Justin Turner. I think his only blip ever in Major League Baseball was showing up on the field and celebrating with his friends and teammates when he tested positive for COVID the year that the Dodgers won the World Series. Other than that, the guy's been a stand-up citizen. He and his uh, he and his wife are like very well loved in Boston. So I really do hope that he is able to turn it around. Um, anything else that either one of you two want to add before we go into honor dishonorable mentions for duds? I'm all set with Turner. All set with Turner. I'm, cool. I'm good. I'm good with Turner too. Yep. Said our set our things we needed to. Yep. So for me, Brazier was the the dishonorable mention for this one. I mean, just got absolutely tapped in the second game, and arguably the reason why we just were not able to turn around, which is unfortunate because this was the first. Really nice performance, I think, where uh, Bayo came out, did great. But, I mean, that was the the real ugly one for me. Um, I don't I don't think I want to put Yoshida in that list. He still did okay in the series. I think he went two for seven. Um, nothing like the, the rocketed series from before. But, I mean, how do you top the series before when you hit two home runs in the same inning? That's going to be pretty damn hard. Uh, but he's, he's doing all right. For me, it was really Brazier. Were there any other guys that you thought that – you know, could have done better that didn't. Any dishonorables you want to mention? It wasn't. Maybe Kenley Je- oh, I was going to say Kenley Jensen. I mean, he's not going to every, – every night he's not going to have a save. This was his hiccup. Wasn't bad. We still ended up winning the game. But he wasn't as sharp when he came out uh, for game two. That was really it. I'm not concerned about it. I'm not concerned either. And he did mention that he had some back stiffness and back tightness before um, that appearance was even over, and he thought he could stay out there and whatnot. But I'm not really going to fault Kenley Jensen. I think Kenley Jensen is one of the one of the elite closers in the game. Same. There's there's no question. I mean, he could blow back to back saves, and that would not change still my opinion about him. him. Yep, exactly. Like that. We got a closer. So, That's how I feel. We got a proven closer exactly. who he has a proven track record. Couldn't say yeah. that for many years. If Jansen Sorry. blows one save a month, I think we're good with that. Because <laughs> April, exactly. April is over. Just real quick with Brazier. I mean, we shouldn't be shocked. That is who he is. I'm kind of surprised Cora just keeps going to him automatically if the game is borderline out of reach like it was. In this exact situation, the Red Sox had had an off day two days before, and then the game previous, you only used Pavetta and Crawford. So this was a pretty well-rested bullpen. You know, why not go to Schreiber instead? And maybe that whole crisis gets averted. Then Winkowski comes in, then Jansen comes in, probably under a lot less stress, and it's a much different uh, outcome. But it got pretty stressful there, and 
you just wonder, I mean, if the Red Sox can go get another Bernardino guy off a scrap heap somewhere, you know, maybe, maybe that'll finally be it for Brazier. For me, honestly, the concern is just the, the walks. I mean, you look at 2021, 12 innings, four walks, not a huge sample size. That's it. 2022, 13 walks, 62 and a third innings. He's at eight walks through 14 so far. It's not going to be long before he surpasses the 13. I I just feel like that's that's hindering him. His whip is the worst of his career. It's now up to 1.64. You, I'm sorry, but you're not going to live on that. You can't as a reliever. It's just not going to happen. And, and Terry, you're right. I don't know why we're going to him. Like we, we shouldn't be going to the well with him at the present moment. It's 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 not working, and we we can do better than that. So I think with that, why don't we move into uh, our next series, uh, Terry? Why don't you give us our game one starters? Who are we facing, and who do we have? It's going to be an interesting one. And before I say that, uh, we'll just note that uh, first three games are a ten. Uh, excuse me, are a seven ten p.m. Eastern start, and then for some reason, the fourth game on Thursday is a six ten start. So basically, they're all prime time. Love that. That's a nice schedule for the blue collar uh, person. Uh, game one will be Corey Kluber versus Jose Barrios. And um, both coming off a of good starts. Barrios has actually had a, a few good starts here uh, in a row. Um, scoreless against the Chicago White Sox, which, you know, not a, not a huge thing. But that was a seven-inning appearance. And then the start before that, very impressively, seven innings against the Houston Astros, only two earned runs. Uh, and then uh, perhaps even more impressively than that, uh, three starts ago, five innings of just one run ball against the MLB leading Tampa Bay Rays. So he's coming off of a few good starts here. Nick, what's your pick for game one? I am going with the Blue Jays without any hesitation on that, knowing that Kluber's there. I think Kluber struggles with a formidable lineup in particular that he'll have to face with the likes of Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and George Springer and even Kevin Kiermeyer, who's having a surprisingly good start to the season. This lineup is very balanced right now for the Jays. They're sitting at 18 and 10 so far in their early beginnings of their season. I see uh, a Blue Jays victory Monday evening. And for all the reasons that I think we all know Jose Barrios is is and can be an elite pitcher. I think that he's got the edge on Corey Kluber. You you don't just forget how to be an elite pitcher. The only way you stop being elite is age kicks in. And for Jose Barrios, he's still in his upper 20s. And Corey Kluber is close to 40. So you got a 10-year swing there. And someone who's got pitches that can absolutely buckle you I think the lineup that Toronto has is going to give them the edge. So Barrios in game one. Uh, game two, Terry, who do we have? Uh, let me also add, I didn't actually give my pick. Maybe I should have. Um, I'm going to take the Blue Jays in a very high-scoring game. Barrios never pitched against the Red Sox well, and I, I know he is on starting an impressive run here. Uh, but I, I think 
Kluber could get tattooed. I think this is going to be a very action-packed, high-scoring game, but I'll have the uh, Blue Jays edging the Red Sox. Game two, that is... uh, Let me go back one here. Uh, That is Tanner Houck versus Yusei Kikuchi, who is also having a pretty good season. He's got an even... Uh, 3.00 ERA, 4-0 on the year. His whip is even relatively low at 1.11. Coming off of basically like uh, Barrios, his last three starts, same exact teams, White Sox, Yankees, Rays. He's gone 17 and two-thirds innings of just two-run ball in that span over those... um, over those three teams, and his strikeouts are way up this year. So uh, go ahead, Nick. Who do you have? You're on mute, bud. There we go. I was just looking at his stats, and 28 strikeouts are ready for the season. The guy's been a force. Nickname is Yusei, as they look at as his stuff. So that's kind of interesting for his nickname. Um, I, I want Tanner Hulk to be a starter. So I need to see Tanner Hulk be dominant in this game. So I want to go for the Red Sox because I want to believe that Tanner Hulk can actually get this job done and be in this starting rotation. We did a show, I believe it was last week, where we talked about will he lead the team in wins this season? Well, he's already up to, is it three so far? So we want to see more of that. And I want to see what Tanner Hulk can bring to the table against a really good lineup. So I want to believe that the Red Sox will get the win on Tuesday night and uh, the Blue Jays will get the, uh, the loss. So Tanner Houck really has, I think, the most cupcake matchup, and that's arguable. I think that uh, you say Kikuchi is, is an opportunity – He's a pitcher that I wanted to come to Boston. I know that there are other podcasters that we have in our group that you know said, you know, this is ridiculous. Why would you want him? He's not that good. It is what it is. They're allowed to be wrong. It's cool. We don't have to name drop them. Anyways, back to this. Tanner Houck, I really hope he can do it. I hope he can get the win. Um, this is going to be one of the only two games I think the Red Sox have a chance at winning. Um, the other one would be the next one, too. So I'm going to say that Tanner Houck will win this one. It will not be crazy. I don't think Kikuchi is going to be able to keep the string attached. He's had four or five starts allowing one run or less. And in three of those games that he's allowed that run, it has been by way of a solo home run. So he's been incredibly consistent and incredibly good. I don't know what they're putting in the water in Toronto. I think it's it's a possibility. Maybe we have a great performance for Houck and Kikuchi just isn't able to match it. Uh, Terry. I feel like I need to find a game that the Red Sox can win. And like you guys, it's just, it's a very daunting looking series, especially where it's four games. Yeah. Tanner Houck has been the ace of the Red Sox. And I think the Red Sox could have a kind of a slappy, scrappy game against Kikuchi. You know, he's not going to, blow them away, I don't think. And I think this is going to be a good opportunity, uh, you know, for the Red Sox to win. Probably not quite as high of a scoring game as I think game one will be, but I can see the the Red Sox winning this one, you know, five to four, five to three. 
something like that. So put me down for the Red Sox in game two. Game three will be Nick Pavetta versus Alec Manoa, who is a popular Cy Young pick for a lot of people. Not off to a great start this season. He has, a uh, let's see, an ERA just under five, but he does seem to be settling down uh, pretty good here. Um, had two starts ago, pitched very well in seven innings against the Yankees. They didn't score a run off of him. Uh, Blue Jays went on to lose that game regardless. He was facing Garrett Cole. Uh, and then uh, he's coming off of a pretty good start uh, with seven strikeouts against the Seattle Mariners. But he'll be going up again against Nick Pavetta. Nick, who do you have? Does the does your fellow Nick win that matchup? Right. My fellow Nick does not win this matchup. But I he also doesn't get the loss, in my opinion. He's going to get a no decision. I think this game is going to come down to a bullpen game. I think he'll give you four or five innings. He'll be in that three or four runs given up. A consistent Nick Pavetta bounce back start is what I'm expecting from this. And Alex Verdugo gets to play and gets to hit up against his wonderful friend, Manoa. So I'm kind of curious to see what he does on that pitch when he leads off the game, if it's tattooed and out of the park. Those two can't stand each other. I don't know if you guys have seen. They like they they chirp quite a bit throughout their games. I can't stand Manoa. Yes, he's talented. Yes, he's great. Wish he, Wish we had him on this team. But I would love to see the Red Sox just tattoo him all over the park on Wednesday. I'm going to go with the Red Sox for the win on this, and it's going to be, again, a game that comes down to the bullpen, and I think the bats will propel to get them the win. Wow. Big choice absolutely. on the end. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be able to beat Alec Manoa. I think he's angry because of some of the comments that were made about one of his teammates. He's still pretty upset. Uh, he's had back-to-back quality games, albeit not fantastic. You walked four in your last game against Seattle. I just can't trust Nick Pavetta, and it's a trust thing for me. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that back unless he has like a superstar stellar month. I'm talking three, four games in that month where it's three runs or less, and you probably went six or seven innings each of those games. I'm not. I'm just. I'm going to struggle to pick against you unless it's a rookie or someone who's just washed. Uh, Manoa's winning game three, so Toronto's winning minimum two out of the first three. Terry, anything else you want to add? I think. Nick Pavetta is going to get tattooed so hard against this lineup. He actually will have a tattoo on him by the end of it saying Toronto is my daddy. <laughs> I think, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, if his curveball is not, you know, it, if it doesn't have the movement that he needs it to have, he's going to be throwing a lot of fastballs. And I, I think if, if let's put it this way, if he's anything like he was in the Guardian start, which was not good, um, I think Toronto is is going to tattoo him. And Toronto has won something like twelve of their last eighteen games. They're just on an absolute tear. The only series they've actually lost out of the last six was to Houston, uh, and they've very impressively. Um, you know, gone on a run. They swept the White Sox. That kind of goes without saying, but they just beat the Mariners. They beat the Yankees two out of three. They beat the Tampa Bay Rays two out of three. And those two wins they had were the first two um, at the Trop, you know, for the away team 
Tampa was undefeated at home until Toronto came into town. So this is a team that is on a hot streak. And they they might finally be playing to their potential because I, I think they've underachieved the last couple of years with all the talent that they have. And it's it's finally, um, you know, it, it, it's finally coming along for them. So n- not the ideal time for them to come to Boston, let's put it that way. We, I'd much rather them be a little bit cooler. But final game of the series, that's on Thursday, and that's the, the wonky 6-10 start. That'll be Brian Bayo against... Kevin Gosman, and admittedly, I hadn't pulled his page up. Gosman is uh, looking like his normal self. Uh, Two thirty-three ERA, fifty-four strikeouts. That's that's a healthy number for one month of baseball. I mean, that's on pace for like two hundred and fifty, or or even more actually. Would that that would be three hundred strikeouts? He's on pace for it. Won't happen, but um, but still uh, having a great year. Uh, a one point zero one WHIP. And his last uh, few starts here, pull those up right here. Um, Seattle, seven innings, zero runs, struck out 13. That's uh, that's not bad. Uh, start before that against the Yankees, utterly dominated them, uh, seven innings, zero runs again with 11 strikeouts. And then he actually did get tattooed against the Astros, uh, for seven runs, but that was probably just a blip. But so he is coming into Fenway with 14 scoreless innings and 24 strikeouts uh, in his last two. So Nick, how do you have that one? The 2021 off season, the off season where Kevin Gosman was a free agent. This guy should have been a Red Sox. He's been a Red Sox killer for his like entire career. There's no way that the Red Sox are going to get a victory. Not with those numbers that he's putting up once again. Want to talk about daddy? There's your daddy right there. (laughs) Daddy's coming. Daddy's coming on Thursday. So I just don't see, I think Bayo does okay. Doesn't set the world on fire. But Gosman, no doubt, is going to get the victory for Thursday and continue the trend of dominating the Red Sox. Yeah, so... Gosman's somebody that I wanted. We, we we seem to do like a fair share of like shouting out people when they get it right. But again, we had other people in the group that did not want Gosman or didn't want him as bad. And now you're you're seeing full well why you should have had him. And uh, numbers don't lie. That's it. Terry mentioned it already. 13 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts. He struck out 11 or more in three of the last four starts. In games that he has not allowed an earned run, he is two and one in four starts. He lost the game that he allowed three runs, none of which were earned against St. Louis earlier this year. He's 0 and one in runs in games that he allowed three runs or seven. That's it. Cause those are the only two outside of that Houston game. He has allowed three runs in 34 innings. That's pretty damn good. And he's given up, no home runs outside of those two games. So, yeah, you can say it's shaping my narrative, whatever. Gausman's not losing this game, which is why I said if the Red Sox have a chance to win a game, this is one of the two. Terry already mentioned this is really, really difficult to find games that we just have sure about wins. We're facing form- formidable opponents, and Toronto was, I think, everybody's pick in the group except for mine to be the division leader. I, I thought it was going to be New York, and right now they're sitting in the basement. So... It is what it is, but 
Uh, we'll see if, if Toronto can stay healthy. Toronto hasn't had any major injuries yet. George Springer is usually good to go down once or twice a year. And who knows if any of those other pitchers have a blow up. Anything else that either one of you two wanted to add? Terry, go ahead. Well, I have to make my pick. And uh, no shock, I'm going to agree with both of you. Um, with Gosman uh, having his way with the Red Sox. I will say this. I mean, this is like a shark tank. You are throwing Brian Bayo into the shark tank. He hasn't looked super great, uh, but also not super bad. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, this this lineup is going to be a true test for him. And if he can give you five innings of three or even four run ball, you will take that um, against a team like Toronto. But it could also go sideways really fast uh, for him. So they, they could certainly make him pay if he's not sharp or if he's just too much over the plate. So I also have the Blue Jays taking three out of four in this series. Yep. Nick, anything else you want to add? I could very well even see if this doesn't go right. This could be a sweep, and I really hope it's yep. not because it could be just like Tampa again. The Red Sox have got to prove that they can get the job done against their AL East teams. It's getting really ridiculous that they just can't get the job done. So this is a gigantic series for them if there's going to be any kind of movement here in the division. Absolutely. So I think on that note, we are going to wrap it. So for all of us here tonight, we want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to all of our first-time listeners as well. Thank you, and we appreciate you. Whether you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we thank you. Everyone have a great night. Take care.